Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Transactive energy is a term that's emerged in the last years in the energy sector, and it's being used more and more. I think it's quite a cool sounding word and involves some cool concepts such as peer-to-peer trading. But what does transactive energy actually mean? How's it emerging? And in particular, what does it mean for distribution networks over which such transactions will take place? Is transactive energy a solution looking for a problem or what problem is it actually solving? Is it a buzzword that will fade away over time? or will it end up becoming a key part of the energy transition? That's what we're exploring in today's episode, and I've got two excellent guests to help me do so. Let's say hello to them. Uh, first, Herben van der Berg, a strategic business developer at Aliando. Hello, Herben. Um, thanks for joining us today. Now, Aliando, for those of you that listeners that don't know Aliando, uh, is a a distributor of electricity, gas and heat in the Netherlands and in Germany, I think, as well. Um, can you tell us a bit about your role as strategic business developer uh, for a very regulated business like a network business? What does a strategic business developer do? Um, a good question. I'll try to answer it briefly. Uh, thanks for, for the invitation. Um, Alejandro indeed is a grid operator in a um, uh, large part of the Netherlands and a um, uh, part in Germany. Um, we are um, only active in grid management, so we have no retail or generation or uh, other activities. Um, not in electricity and gas, which is our main regulatory framework, but also not in um, other energies like uh, heat or hydrogen or um, uh, any other. Um, my role as a strategic business developer, I work within a team of five and we look out for the next activities or next businesses that Aliander wants to be active in and sees as complementary or essential for future grid management. And that covers a broad range. Uh, one of which is transactive energy or elements of transactive energy. So. Uh, Indeed, indeed, and local energy uh, systems that is a part of the transactive energy. Uh, and I guess we'll talk about it. Yep. Well, let's come back to that after we say hello to our second guest, uh, my Delta EE colleague and expert, Jeremy Harrison. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, John. Um, so I want to start with what is a very simple question, or sounds like a very simple question for both of you. How would you define transactive energy? Or how would you sum it up in a sentence? Um, who would like to go first? Well, can I cheat by reading the definition that um, the American Gridwise Council have come up with? Because that gives us a kind of a, a baseline that we can then work around. So, so they said that it's a system of economic and control mechanisms that allows the dynamic optimization of supply and demand across the entire electrical infrastructure using value as a key operational parameter. And I think for me that the key part of that is it's it's about optimization. Um, you said earlier that this is an emerging concept. It's actually a concept that's been around for quite a while. Uh, well, it's just I was going to say, Jeremy, you might you might say that the electricity system has always been optimized. 
because it has to be balanced. Well, you can store to a point, but it's got to be balanced in, in real time. So what's the difference between the optimization that's gone on for decades and transactive energy optimization? Well, it's been balanced, that's right. Um, and in the old days, when you had central generation plant feeding through the voltage levels down to the consumers, the system had to respond to whatever the consumers asked for. And at times that's quite well, quite challenging to achieve. You know, the, the classic thing about you know, the World Cup final, everybody goes off to make a cup of tea at half time. Um, and that causes a huge surge in demand. And what transactive energy is about is not just meeting that demand, it's about prevent partly preventing it happening as a peak, but also managing it in an optimized way to make better use of the assets. So you don't have to over-provide assets. Okay, and in a more distributed world that we're moving into, then you can do that using distributed resources, customers' assets, as well as big generation plant. Yeah, and that's what makes it so complex because as I say, in the old days, you had central plant, which you just turned up and down uh, with national mm -hmm. grid. And that's very straightforward. When you've got multiple generation assets at different voltage levels, then it's a much more complex uh, issue. And that's why transactive energy is emerging as this uh, means of optimizing the, uh, the, the assets. Okay, uh, just read down that definition one more time and then Herben will go and get your either definition or perspective. So the definition was a system of economic and control mechanisms that allows the dynamic optimization of supply and demand across the entire electrical infrastructure using value as a key operational parameter. Okay, so that's slowly sinking into our listeners' minds. Uh, while that does that, Herbert, how would you define it or what perspectives would you bring out or how do you see it in your role at Aliander? Well, where this definition very much appeals to uh, putting the infrastructure uh, as a central element in the energy system of the future, um, another perspective um, that is also put forward um, uh, explicitly in, in Europe by the European Commission is the, um, the same mechanism uh, that allows for control and steering also um, allows for other participants to join in in the energy system, um, even up to the level of the individual homeowner and its solar his or her solar panels, which of course, uh, can be used for self-consumption, but can also be sold to the neighbors or have feed-in tariffs. Um, so there are already small examples of economic um, uh, levers that, that influence how the energy system is going to behave. Okay. And so that's a concept of peer-to-peer, that's a peer-to-peer -peer trading example where you might sell electricity to your neighbor, for example. Yeah, we, we believe that there will be um, uh, a time in the future, maybe near future, where anyone can trade with anyone or maybe anything can trade with anything uh, uh, with the rise of, of intelligent devices and IoT systems, etc. Mm -hmm. um, they can trade for any purpose at any location at any time. So there will be um, another top-down energy system in the future with centralized production and decentralized consumption. But there, there will be a, a let's say n to n um, everybody to everybody connection at least administratively economically but then there comes the um, uh, the physical element aspect as well so there there's the yeah. interesting intersection okay and that intersection is then 
not only the trade but the physical balancing. And yes, one thing I'm, one thing that stood out to me is the, as I've thought about transactive energy more and more, is that phys that mix of the economic trade and the physical balancing, and that physical balancing both being in time and in space. So trying to balance locally, um, as well as trade in a way that reflects those physical requirements. Yeah, I think, John, also there's different levels of uh, sophistication in it. You mentioned peer-to-peer -peer trading. Well, at its lowest level, peer-to-peer -peer trading can simply be about me trading my excess PV with my next-door neighbor's um, electrical demand for his heat pump or whatever. Now, it's quite possible that there is no change whatsoever in the physical transaction. My electricity for my PV goes onto the grid and gets absorbed into the system, and my neighbor takes his electricity off the grid. And it's not as though he has changed his behavior anyway, or I've changed my behavior. Now, the next step up from that is where you say, well, I wouldn't normally be running my heat pump at this time of day, but because you've got such so much excess, rather than causing a problem on the network with excess uh, generation, raising the voltage, I can consume that because it's very cheap. Um, so I get cheap energy, you sell your energy, and we solve a problem of congestion on the network. So th there are different levels of peer-to-peer -peer trading and transactive energy in terms of how, uh, how much they influence and how much these transactions physically optimize the, the system. Okay, that's a nice simple example, Jeremy, but I guess we're a long way away from having a, a market design or structures that for that to work, or, or are we? Uh, maybe it'll be interesting Robin and Jeremy to hear examples of uh, where you see transactive energy popping up or you know are there examples of what you've described Jeremy is that is that happening today in the market? Well yeah I mean I, I give you two examples one of the, the first level where nothing really changes so the, the much cited example of the Brooklyn microgrid in, in, in New York where people have PV on their roofs some people do rather and others don't mm -hmm they in theory um, trade between each other the electricity so one person's excess PV goes to another person and they have a blockchain transaction peer-to-peer -peer transaction um, but nothing actually changes the energy flows just as it would normally have done over the same network uh, cables and in fact um, economically the, um, the the billing uh, works because the the meters the, the utility meters are done this meters that means they can go backwards and forwards so those net meters mm -hmm. don't actually reflect the use of the system at all so the poor old network operator gets left carrying the baby having to transport electricity and not getting paid for it so coming back to your definition that doesn't help to balance the system in any way exactly it's it, it nothing yeah. changed at all the the uh, financial transaction has no bearing at all on the outcome yeah. but a, a okay. good example of where um a network operator has um initiated a uh, an incentive mechanism to reward um the kind of behavior they want to see so western power distribution in the uk in cornwall has a, a local energy market platform and that it is also peer-to-peer -peer transactions between people with pv or micro commodity power systems selling their electricity to well through the platform to people who want the electricity but okay. pv themselves also um want be able to control the energy flows to optimize their system to avoid congestion and, and um, capacity issues so that's a genuine uh, added benefit so people's behavior is influenced not just by somebody wanting to buy it next door or further down the road 
but by the needs of the system operator as well. Okay, so the network company there is incentivizing people to um, transact in a way that helps to solve the network company's problems, yeah, not challenges. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Herbert, any examples from, from your side, things you've been involved in or seen in the market that you'd like to share? Yeah, maybe one is interesting to mention there. We've been teaming up with the Port Authority of the Port of Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. They um, uh, saw an increase in the uh, electricity use uh, with the companies that are located in, in the port area. The electricity grid in the port area is part of the public grid and, and uh, operated by, um, uh, by Aliander. Um, and they had um, a similar vision as, uh, uh, as Aliander had by saying, well, maybe we could optimize local production uh, generation of electricity because some companies have PV installations, some even have wind farms. There's a need nearby uh, windmills. There's a nearby, nearby wind farm and there's a nearby um, waste incinerary that can also uh, uh, deliver electricity. Um, optimize the local generation and the local use where both in time there, the optimization can take place. Um, uh, but also by the means of the business activities. And we developed uh, together two platforms. Uh, one was uh, uh, developed um, on, on lead by the Port of Amsterdam that optimizes the, uh, the use between partners in the, um, uh, in the port area. For instance, the cooling warehouses uh, optimized to the, um, the peaks in production from wind or uh, solar. Okay. Um, yeah. And they also made arrangements between each other that, for instance, the uh, charging of uh, delivery, electric de delivery fans, they were not all charged at six o'clock when, when they were ready, but they made a schedule uh, okay. to do so. Um, and from our side, we introduced our platform from uh, one of our subsidiaries, uh, Entrance which allows partners to match their uh, generation and their consumption, um, enabling, so to say, a peer -to local peer-to-peer -peer, uh, direct trade, where the platform also um, uh, then handles all the administration, also the electricity nominations that are needed for the grid operator, uh, also the imbalances, uh, uh, et cetera. Um, uh, so now they have a fully automated solution in place where uh, they are optimizing the use of the grid and from our perspective this is a nice example where uh, the business interests and the grid interests go hand in hand hmm. okay and is that something is that a pilot project is that an experiment is that something that you're starting to see being replicated in other areas how would you describe the status of it Herman? um it started off as a pilot a few years ago but we are now at the stage that we are actively talking also to other port areas and also other industry areas and say, well, this is a, uh, a concept that can be um, uh, replicated. Um, and it's not restricted to a port area. It also, uh, can also be applied to any um, area where there is a, a cluster of energy use and energy generation. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I think those examples you're given, they're a nice mix of what I describe as the the needs of the electricity system on one hand, so the stuff that engineers and technical-minded people love, you know, real-time balancing of generation and demand, but also a consumer proposition where a customer is really motivated to do something. Um, so I guess the two of those need to come together. You need both of those. You need the right price signals, the right 
incentives for the network company, for the electricity system, and you need something that's simple and appealing to customers. Um, do you see that balance right, both of you, in terms of the initiatives that are developing, the way the industry is thinking? Are we too focused on one rather than the other? I think you, you picked on a, quite a key point there about the, the correct incentives. Um, well, one of the things which I think we're all aware of is the, the recent um, issues in Texas, where mm -hmm. the, the almost fell over completely. Um, certainly, there were some severe long outages for, for many people. Um, and the problem with that uh, was it was exacerbated by a poorly designed market, so that uh, there simply was not enough generation capacity. Um, so it didn't really matter what price you attributed to generation, it, it just wasn't available. So the price was actually capped at, I think, $9,000 a megawatt hour. Um, but if the system had allowed it to go higher, it would have gone to infinity, simply because mm. the, the demand so massively outstripped the supply. Um, so I think that's a very good example of how the market mechanisms failed to deliver the, the correct investment. And, and the reason for that was that the incentive was based on price per kilowatt hour, whereas you need to have physical assets, even if they're only for a very short time. So, for example, you would needed a capacity uh, value yeah. attributed, to that, and they didn't have that. So, so they have price signals on, on kilowatt hours, on energy, not on kilowatts, not on power, on which is what the problem was. It, exactly. So I think, I mean, okay, that's a specific example, but I think it illustrates mm -hmm. the point you need to have a market which is designed to reflect the needs, the physical needs. So it's no good having uh, financial incentives if those do not correlate with the, the, the delivery of the service. Yeah, okay. Or does, that, does that market structure work in the examples you gave, Herben? Um, is the market ready for that example in the port of Amsterdam? Is it ready for that to be replicated elsewhere? Or are there particular challenges in that? Um, I think the technology is not a bottleneck. I think um, uh, the technology from such a platform um, uh, is not a bottleneck. The technology from devices that can remotely be controlled is not a bottleneck. I think indeed, as um, Jeremy stated, the, the market and the market structure is for now still the bottleneck. And um, there are many initiatives starting at different um, points in the energy system, and slowly, gradually, they are finding their way towards each other um, um, as in the end it's one energy system they are all active in mm. um, so so it's also naturally that they will have to meet all uh, uh, perspectives but but that will be a process of uh, years I think to come and of course in the total energy system there are also different incentives um, trying to optimize either incumbent situations or uh, temporary situations. For instance, feed-in tariffs differ per country, sometimes even per region. Yeah, they yeah. have a massive impact on on energy flows and energy trades. But at the same time, and we need them to make the business case for uh, decentralized and um, CO2 friendly energy production. I can say feed-in tariffs is a really interesting example because they are a very blunt instrument, and as you say, they're, they're there to incentivize investment in renewables. But the problem is, uh, as Germany has seen to their expense, that you can invest so much in the renewables um, that you have overcapacity and you have uh, overvoltage problems in summer on a lot of networks. 
but that's because the, the feed-in tariff is, is how should I say, done. It is simply a value per kilowatt hour regardless of when it's So that, in a way, is almost the exact opposite of transactive energy. It is incentivizing perverse behavior. If you've got excess electricity in summer, you just chuck it onto the network because you get paid for it, even though that's causing the problem. So a transactive okay. would actually reflect the, the, the fact that um, there is excess capacity and they would adjust the value of that feed-in tariff accordingly. Um, so what's, what you're starting to see in Germany then, Jeremy, is people who are exporting electricity from their PV system coming out of the feed-in tariff and getting a very low price for when they export that electricity. So those people are now looking to self-consume that electricity. So can they shift their consumption around and maybe heat their hot water or charge their car at times that mean they don't export that electricity and get paid very little for it? What you're saying is that could extend to their neighbours or their communities or people in their locality, as well as just themselves. And that would be a much smarter and more transactive yeah. energy system. Yes, because the German response, network operator's response to that was that for the certainly I mean, over 10 kilowatt systems, they have the right to disconnect them. So if there's yeah. too much uh, energy flowing into the network, they just switch them off, which is terribly wasteful. And that comes back to this point about optimization. You can solve the problem in very crude terms just by switching things on and off. But if you want to optimize it, you want to make use of that energy. And as you say, yeah. sell it to neighbors, put it in a battery, find some other way of, of optimizing the system rather than just uh, wasting um, resources. Okay. Uh, another example, so a project that Delta EE has been involved in recently has been looking at wind farms, those large scale wind farms being curtailed. Uh, switched off at times in the same way those PV systems are sometimes disconnected in, in Germany. So if the wind farm needs to be switched off because the system is at capacity or there's a bottleneck somewhere, could you actually turn up electric demand, maybe electric heating, uh, or shift that electric heating to times when the wind farm would otherwise be curtailed? And that, I think that's a really interesting use case because in theory, yes, why not? But I can see transactive energy, you could get into a bit of a, a complex situation where at the national level, you might want to switch up electric heating or a battery or charge an EV. At the local level, you might want to do something different. And the wholesale market might mean you want to just do something different again. So do we risk getting into a very complex situation with these transactive energy schemes and how might you manage that or how are people starting to think about managing that? I think it's somewhere in your, sorry. So, so somewhere in your question, I, I implicitly hear uh, an either or statement in this. And I, I think well, the future is, is it either or, or both, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it will be both. And we, we already see it that um, the, the transmission system operator in the Netherlands launched last year Equigy, a trading platform where individual households can um, offer uh, services to the transmission service operator from their home battery or their um, uh, or their uh, electric car. That is uh, from a national level directly on the lowest local level. Um, uh, and intermediate markets are also still there and also functioning still well. But, but there, yeah, the energy transition, I think, from a macro level will evolve into a new setting of the energy system. Um, so, so there will be similar uh, aspects, but new relations or uh, new parties involved. And with the 
that that is one thing that you mentioned in in um, the heating solution um, is of course a local solution because you cannot transport heat uh, on the same distances and as a national electricity grid. So there will be a, a, yeah different levels of energy systems uh, or a layered energy system uh, is one of the terms that we use, um, uh, which adds to the complexity on the one hand, but on the other hand offers more uh, levels for optimization. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that um, the other point I'd pull out from that is that you say it's electricity converted into to heat, excess electricity converted into heat. And you therefore you touch on a really important point, which is not just about electricity. The minute you start mm -hmm. transferring energy systems, you have to start thinking a lot more uh, holistically. Um, and there's an example, again, in, in the UK, in the north of Scotland, uh, in Orkney, uh, the Reflex project. And in that case, they have a multi-vector system. So they're using excess wind capacity, which would, as you say, normally be just curtailed uh, and therefore wasted. They're using that to produce uh, green hydrogen, which can then be used to provide heat and power in a fuel cell cogeneration system. It can also be used to fuel the, the power systems for some of the ferries and for local mobility. So you've got the, the demands for heat, power, mobility, um, using hydrogen, uh, electricity and heat as, as the vectors, and it's all being integrated together. It, and it, you're right, it becomes extremely complex, but that's where transactive energy comes in, because if you have simple price signals, then that's that's the driver, that's the controlling um, instrument that allows you to optimize the, the full holistic system. Yeah, we adopted the system of systems, and, and we believe they're in such a complex uh, field there cannot be one central authority, so you need yeah, other incentives and levers. And um, yeah, economic levers could be uh, transactive energy as economic levers could be uh, a solution or an opportunity. So I can imagine some listeners thinking, well, this all sounds really interesting, but really complex. And it's of quite a different electricity system that you're talking about compared to the old electricity system. So one of the questions I posed in the introduction was, what problem is it trying to solve? So last question before we move on to the, the crystal ball, how, how would you simply articulate the problem that transactive energy is trying to solve? Why bother with all of this? I think- I stumped you there, you're thinking hard. <laughs> no, and from a grid, uh, operator's perspective, I think transactive energy is a, a great opportunity to include um, uh, incentives to optimize the system in total. Um, just a small side step, one of the researches that we are uh, taking right now or are, is going on is could we also go to a mix where we say, well, grid investments maybe up to 90% of the needed capacity and the last 10% of the capacity will, we will organize with flex. And th there's of course an economic trade-off or also an economic trade-off. So that so that is how we look at, at uh, transactive energy as a solution to include also the physical part. Okay, so it's helping you solve some of that congestion that you're getting on networks and you'll increasingly get on networks as we have a more electrified future, for example. Yeah, very much, yeah. Yeah, Jeremy, I, I how think, about you? Yeah, I would echo that. I think that it, it's important to recognize that transactive energy is about optimization. It's not the system. It is it is optimizing it. You still need the hardware assets. You still need the physical infrastructure. 
generation and the loans to be able to optimize. Um, so it's really just a more cost-effective way of delivering the very dynamic and uh, very distributed energy system that we are moving towards. So it, when you say, is it a, a solution looking for a problem? It would have been if you tried to implement it 20 years ago, but because the energy yeah. system itself is changing, it's evolving into a much more dynamic distributed uh, system, you need to have different instruments to, to optimize that than you used to when it was a top-down control. Yeah, okay, so it's a more complex energy system we're moving into, which will need more, more complex, a solution that's more complex than the ones we've had in the past. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, keeping our time, let's now bring up the Talking New Energy crystal ball and set the dial this week to 2030. And it's hard to have a quantitative question. I normally like quantitative questions for the crystal ball. But what I'd like to ask each of uh, you to describe is a picture of how widespread transactive energy will be in 2030, or what transactive energy might look like in, in 2030. Um, so you can interpret that question as, as you wish. Um, who would like to go first? Okay, I'll take the short through. Um I think <laughs> it will still be in its infancy. Uh, as I say, it's a very complex uh, concept altogether. And there are so many different use cases that are being looked at. We, we haven't really talked very much about energy communities, for example. Um, and that is one of the, the means that the European Union has seen for engaging consumers with the, the energy transition. Um, and those are starting to be explored in, in many of the European member states, but still as pilots. And those will take two or three years even to get the, the useful results to, to learn from them. So in terms of scaling, I think by 2030, we will still be, there'll be quite a few systems, but they will be very small compared with the overall um, energy system as a whole. So in terms of numbers, you're talking about a single digit percent, it's not going to be significant, but ultimately yeah. could become a major force. And people are talking about maybe 40% uh, of the European energy system uh, comprising these um, energy communities and transactive uh, energy systems within it. Okay, and that, that really would be a paradigm shift, but but maybe not by 2030. Um, yeah. Herben, how about you? I agree. I think that, that in 2030, um, it will be more around, it will be more um, better understood, I think, on, on what dynamics it will involve. And next to energy communities and um, uh, political and regulatory um, um, support that that is uh, evolving for for this i also see um I, i'll be very interesting to to learn what large corporates and industrial corporates will do um when they are now also confronted with uh, um, the need to change their processes or uh, step up in electrification of processes or using other fuels mm -hmm. what they will do um there's um uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it was a nice uh, press clipping that um, um, multinationals Heineken, Philips and some others um, jointly built a wind farm in Finland. But they are using it for their uh, factories and sites all over Europe. Um, so administratively, that is great news. But physically, it will be interesting if there is a congestion in Finland, 
how how yeah. do they then solve it in the, at the local site in I don't know which country? Yeah, um, so you have the matching. But, but they can be a driving time, force. but not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So 2030, not a big paradigm shift. Um, I, for me, it's fascinating to see both the, I guess, pilots, uh, the sort of things you described, Jeremy. But Herbin, from your point of view, a company like Aliander um, investing in a, a platform and actually starting to see this as an opportunity to to help enable a more transactive energy future, as well as I guess having a financial stake in that, you know, extending your position in the value chain to having uh, a stake in that and helping enable that. And um, I, I must add to that that we we do that not from um, uh, perspective of running a new business but having uh, facilitating a marketplace where local energy trades can take place we also see as an opportunity to what we call implicit flexibility to incorporate the um, the needs of the grid into that transaction we're still finding out in what way do we need incentives like in cornwall or do we need price premiums or others or maybe bluntly say this is a region now out of scope for your trade uh, we're discovering how that works, but we firmly believe that, yeah, if we work with the mechanisms and with the marketplace, then uh, yeah, we can can also use it for the the good of the total system. Okay, we better draw it to a close there. Um, hope, listeners, that's been a an interesting window on transactive energy. Uh, you may have heard the term, and now hopefully understand more about it. Jeremy and Herman, thank you very much for sharing your, your time and expertise. Uh, I think it's a, a topic for the future, but not for the future in that we don't need to think about it for a long time. I think there's a lot to do and engage with and a lot of rules and regulations to, to shape and develop and a lot of opportunity. So um, thanks for sharing your time. Listeners, thanks for joining as always. We hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.